Welcome to The Drummer's Pathway, the podcast about music, life, and the creative process. Hello, I'm Michael Scott, and welcome to the Drummer's Pathway podcast. This episode features a roundtable discussion with Matthew Krauss and Zach Obeda from the Working Drummer podcast. With over 400 episodes and counting, the Working Drummer podcast has become an essential source for those interested in what it's like to maintain a career as a professional drummer. Renowned for their in-depth interviews, with an emphasis on telling the stories of the artists who may not always be a household name, their unique approach has developed a loyal audience longing for honest stories and perspectives about making a living as a musician today. As this discussion ran for two hours, I have split this episode into two parts. Now, let's get started with part one of my conversation with Matthew Krauss and Zach Albetta. So first off, I just want to say what an absolute pleasure it is for me to connect with both of you. I have been a fan of the Working Drummer podcast since its inception, and I have actually listened to all 443 episodes. Wow. So I am um, I'm I'm a dedicated fan of the work that you do. Matt, you better send this guy a t-shirt or something. I, f- I find a <laughs> A great amount of inspiration that I get from the stories of the, particularly the names of people that aren't as familiar, because I think that's one of the things that you really try to do with this podcast is tell the stories of the people that are really in the trenches, um, living the real life in this business, rather than just the perception of really what the glorified musician life is. I get a significant amount of value out of that. Great. Thanks so much for having us, man, and and really appreciate you following along over the years. And uh, you you nailed it. That's that's what we do. We you know we land a big fish, a household name, occasionally, um, seemingly a little more often these days, uh, uh, thankfully. Um, but yeah, a lot of the people we interview are just you know ground level pros, doing it day in day out, week in week out. Well. Yeah. And one of the things that I often find is that sometimes the the acts that people play for are really the names and the bands behind them are really the unknown element. I remember I had a I had a, a recent guest. I had interviewed um, Jamie Wallum from Tears for Fears, which was an incredible interview. And I actually connected with him after hearing him on your show. And I was so blown away by his honesty and his story that I actually just reached out to him, carried on a conversation and ended up having him as a guest on my show. And we've become friends. And one of the things that I find really interesting with that is that it's just, you know, here's a guy that's living the life that people perceive as being this life of glory, but yet there's, there's all of these challenges in terms of really what it's like to be a musician in the first place. I like hearing those stories because we all have struggles and we all make changes in our lives and we have to go into different paths. And so that's one interview that I heard on your show that particularly resonated with me. So I had watched a recent clip on YouTube, Matt, talking about how you started the show. And one of the things that you had commented on was... There's so many shows out there where everyone's interviewing all of the famous people and asking all those questions. And you decided to go in the opposite direction and interview the people that are in the trenches doing the work, because that's really where the inspirational stories are. So why did you start this podcast? Well, I can tell you, that, first of all, the Jamie Wallum thing just personifies everything about this podcast uh, that uh, that I love so much about it. And um when we first started, uh, I don't think we had this grand idea that this is what it would be about. Uh, it was just uh, an opportunity to do something with the people in relationships I had built in Nashville since I've been here since 2000 and my friends and peers. And I wanted to kind of unpack what it was about them that they were doing. And and this is back in 2015. Podcasts were relatively new. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was feeling very disconnected with the drumming community and the community in Nashville writ large that uh, I wanted to get back in. Podcasts seemed like a really good excuse to break out of my shell and invite people to my house and have these tough conversations 
uh, with people that I considered my friends, but also were competition. And we were kind of vying, some of us were vying for the same gigs and sessions and things like that. But uh, we, drummers, you know, there's, there's drummer hangs and lunches and stuff like that. I've never been great at that stuff. Uh, but I've always wanted to know, like, how are these guys doing it? And we have a lot of preconceived notions and a lot of that stuff we can carry around with us and it could be uh, negative information. Uh, we can uh, it conflate ideas about why this person got the gig and why I didn't get called. And, um, and a lot of that stuff is just, it's just false. And um, so a big part of it, a big part of the inspiration to kind of go down this, it, it developed organically, you know, it started with the name. And then as I was discovering through the first few interviews, I'm like, man, this is kind of like a good style to lean into and start to kind of really unpack some of these things and ideas about the, like you say, in the trenches drummers that are making a living, but aren't household names. And I was getting so much information and we all grew up in the modern drummer era mm -hmm. of musicians that we read about and stuff like that. And, uh, and some of it was really cool and, and so much great information to pull from, but not always relevant to those of us that are trying to pay our mortgage, raise a family, do gigs, um, and just, you know, do it and have a multifaceted life and a somewhat normal life because that's a little bit more accessible and real uh, more than I think people realize. And then uh, as we discovered, I'm like, man, this is really working. This is resonating. So uh, it, I think it was somewhat by accident that it, it happened to be. But then um, we again, we leaned into it. And uh, and then I think when Zach came on board, he was just he definitely personified that that working drummer and his interest in doing the same thing and discovering the same stuff. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where it started. Well, one of the things I always find is there's a perception in terms of the path that you're supposed to follow and the things that you want to do in order to be a successful musician. You got to play lots of gigs. You got to play lots of sessions. You got to network. You got to do all of these elements to connect with people and build up the ladder and live the dream. The one thing that I find is generally not communicated is not how to live a successful life, but how to live a joyful life. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I have found is that when you're doing all the things that you're told that you're supposed to do in order to be successful, you often end up not leading a successful life. And I think that's one of the things that I really get out of your podcast and even hearing your stories, because I know you both have dealt with these challenges in the past of looking back at your career or even ahead at your career and reevaluating what you actually want to do with your life. And you start to realize, yes, my calendar is full, but I'm not looking forward to any of the work. I'd rather spend more time with with your with your spouse uh, and Matt in your case with with your kids or just doing things that you love Zach I, I know you love to cook so yeah. one, of, one of the things that you would like to do in your downtime is cook that's one of your particular passions and I found for me I'd make all these lists of all the things that I needed to do to get things done to be successful and what I considered to be successful and then once I crossed them all off the list, I would then have time to devote to the things that I loved. You know, I want to learn audio recording. I want to do all these different elements. I want to do some, some writing. But I didn't have the energy to do that anymore because I was so busy trying to fulfill all of the expectations that I, re I had to sort of step back, reevaluate and determine I have to put myself and the things that are important to me first and then choose the paths that I want to follow that are fulfilling because I'm, I'm 52. So I'm in a different um, point in my career versus a lot of the people just coming out of college that are trying to follow that particular path, but I'm content to be a working drummer, but I want to be a working drummer that lives a joyful life. And it's really tough sometimes to kind of step back and reevaluate the things that are actually important to you because you start to doubt why you're having these thoughts, you know, mm -hmm. why shouldn't I want to do go on the road to do this? Why shouldn't I want to take this gig? Why shouldn't I want to have a, a full calendar? Because sometimes 
that's just not what you want to do. You really want to try and find a, a good, successful life balance. And that's not always easy. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a great point. Like through through the stories of a lot of our guests, um, uh, I have, uh, and I know Matt has too, like we've uh, sort of gained a greater understanding about our own individual paths. Because when you hear a guest talk about, um, a, you know, a, a choice they made that was sort of, uh, unconventional or different from what most drummers are told they should want to do. You know, you hear enough of those stories and you start to see like what, you know, what different choices can I make in my life? And then you have to reckon with, uh, like you touched on, like, you know, we, we should all be so lucky as to have, you know, a, a gig every fucking night and be just working, 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 you know? So, so when, like when you're super busy and you're not having any fun, um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a guilt that sets in. There's like this, you know, what, what kind of asshole am I? Like I get to play drums for a living and I'm going to start to question that. Like, I'm going to get picky about how I get to do what I love for a living. <laughs> um, and uh, I think a lot of people have to reckon with the fact that that's okay. Like if, if you're not happy in um, what you do for a living or, or in life in general, it's okay to reevaluate it. And it doesn't matter that, um, you know, you can, you can hold both thoughts in your head at the same time. Like, yes, I am incredibly fortunate and grateful to get to do what I love for a living, but also uh, I, I feel like I've painted myself into a corner here and maybe I'm going about it the wrong way and I need to <laughs> sort of restructure, uh, how I think about this and what I say yes to and what I say no to. And, um, not just in terms of like what you say yes and no to in terms of the gigs that you accept or decline, but, um, you know, just all the real life shit, like what, you know, what other than drums do you give a shit about? what what other than drumming brings you joy and fulfillment and balance in your life um so you know sometimes you have to say no to drumming in some way in order to say yes to something else that like you said is going to help you live a joyful fulfilled life and if you're living a joyful fulfilled life you're going to be a better musician for sure Full stop and i think and and uh michael you and i are the same age and and we all came up in this in the in a time when social media wasn't a thing, mm-hmm. and and I think oftentimes uh, we don't own uh, what our joy is, what 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 it is that we want. Well, oftentimes I feel like we see what other people are doing and think, oh my gosh, that's what I should be doing. That's yes, that person is happy. So I guess if if I do all the things that they're doing, it'll make me happy. Uh, and so I, th- I think people find themselves in situations. They're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all the things like you say, the checklist, and I'm not happy because it's not your checklist. It was somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, again, you know, when we'd see those records and pictures and see posters with bands and see the magazines, whether it was, you know, Modern Drummer or whatever, a lot of that, we put the pieces together in our brain. We're like, we we would like... We, there was just such little information that we then created our own personal fantasy that for me that that's that was real that was like i want to do that i want i want that kind of drum set and and i want to be i want to play this this kind of band and like i really created it for myself it wasn't being like thrown at me so i think and you know social media it's here to stay it's what it is so like how do we i think it's just what i'm saying is don't avoid that but 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 recognize that there's this extra information that you don't want to um, uh, distort your own vision of happiness, your own vision of success uh, based on someone else's dream. Yeah, we've we've interviewed over 400 drummers and we have heard 400 different versions. We've heard 400 different definitions of success and we've heard 400 different paths to it. Um, and that has really been, uh, helpful for me just in, in my security or insecurity (laughs) as a musician, um, you know, whether it's the social media barrage or the gig envy or whatever, just remembering that like my path is my path and nobody else's path is mine. Mine is not anybody else's. 
Um, I forgot who it was, but somebody, somebody I interviewed was talking about, um, you know, gig envy and sort of scrolling Instagram and seeing what everybody else is doing. And, you know, we all have that thought of like, man, I would love to, I would love to do that gig. I just want to switch places with that guy. Like, I just, I want to, I want to get in that guy's gig. And this person was like, you know, we all have that thought, but, but you have to realize you, you can't just switch gigs with that person. You would have to switch lives with that person in order to be where they are and to do what they're doing. And if you switch lives with that person, then you have to take the good with the bad. Yeah. You're in, you're in that gig now, but you also have to take the divorce they went through, the childhood trauma they went through, all the shitty gigs that they have to do other than the gig you're looking at that you don't hear about. Like you have to entirely switch lives with that person if you're going to like put yourself in their shoes. And I think any any reasonable person is like, yeah, no, I don't want to switch entire lives with that person. I'm going to stay on my path. I um, remember having a very heartfelt conversation with Dom Familiero a couple of years ago. And one of the things that I was dealing with was kind of anxiety on figuring out how I fit into this this picture. I'm not someone that currently is working as a full-time musician, but I did follow that path uh, for a number of years. But I had made the decision probably 25 years ago now to kind of step away from things. I got a part-time job just so that I could say no to some other things and have an income and that part-time job. I still actually have, but it's been a full-time job now for, for 24 years. And I enjoy that because it actually has given me the stability and the flexibility in my life to to do the things that I want outside of that because I have a regular income. And I see that as being um, something to be proud of because you know saying that you're just a full-time musician because you don't do anything else when your calendar is not that full is not really something to to be proud of or to, or just a cheerleader you know look at what I'm doing you know you just have to find that that balance but the conversation I had with Dom was I was struggling with social media once again looking at all of the posts of, you know, a lot of the musicians that I know kind of in this area, but all of the shows that they're playing. And then you start to doubt, why are they getting the calls when I'm not getting the calls? Because we're both qualified to do the same thing. And then I realized at one point, I actually don't want to do most of the gigs that they're doing that are, that are spilling the <laughs> calendar. Because yeah. um, for them, you know, the, the club circuit, you know, the blues circuit, the blues jam nights, that's that's a social thing for them. That's their fun. That's their night out. To me, that's work. You know, my night out is staying home, you know, you know, going for a walk with my wife, um, spending some time in my studio, you know, trying to figure out Logic Pro or learn new skills or take a course or take lessons. That's the things that that bring joy to me. But you can get really caught up, as you said, in the in the gig envy thing where you kind of you know start finding that comparison, but you have to step back and go, oh, wait a second, I don't want that person's life. I want the life that I have built. And right. um, but it can be very difficult to to change that mindset when you have all when you're bombarded with all the social media aspects that, of things. That that's what did Dom that, say? Um he you know, he said one of the biggest blessings that I have in my life is that I'm not afraid to follow different paths. And he he encouraged me, you know, like I, I used to write a blog and he encouraged me for that. And he actually said he, he would use it and give it to students as a motivational element. He got me involved in a couple of different projects. He introduced me to some industry people. And I would say that um, I always felt like an outsider, but when I met Dom, he opened the door and let me into the community. And what I found is by taking the time to do this podcast or, or to just connect in different ways, I now feel that my value is just being part of this community. My value isn't based on how full my calendar is. So it's really about building genuine relationships and being true to yourself and being okay to not always follow the same path. And so he he encouraged me and made me re- and and made me start to look at the things that I've actually accomplished and I started to to feel good about the things that I have achieved even though sometimes I'm looking at the things that I feel like I have not. Um you tend to forget the things that you have been successful in. And to remind your listeners you've got a great episode that's a tribute to Dom. 
That's great. Uh, we we were communi- in communication with Dom this last year or so before uh, we missed out on that opportunity to interview him. But you've got a, a great episode with a collection of voices singing his praises and reminding people of what a, a good influence he was on. That's really great. Well, and my original intention for that was to put um, an episode together to give to him to kind of help pick up his spirits as he was dealing oh, with, cool. with, with yeah. uh, the whole uh, cancer thing. And, and that was my plan. And then suddenly when he passed sooner than expected, I had to pivot and I suddenly thought, well, I have all of these episodes, um, stories that people had submitted. I don't feel right. Just taking the things that they submitted under the intention of, sh- of sharing these stories with Dom when now that's not a situation that's actually going to happen. So I actually reached back out to every single person that had submitted a story and I said, okay, I'm, I'm still being told that I should do this episode, but I have to pivot. You know, first of all, do you think I should still do it? And is it okay if I still actually include your story? And in some cases, people resubmitted it. Other cases, I had to make a couple of quick edits to take out some things that were no longer applicable. But I was incredibly humbled by the amount of stories that were submitted. And many of them were from legends in the industry that I have no connection with at all. I just reached out to him and reached out to them and I told them what I wanted to do and I was blown away by the kindness and support and and I think that's really about the key in terms of building you know these these relationships and these connections you have to be genuine if I wasn't genuine about what it was that I was trying to do to pay tribute to this legend that we all love then I would have not gotten responses from most of the requests that I had sent because I wasn't after anything except for celebrating and kind of expanding the community. Right. Yeah. And that, that, uh, that word relationships is, is so key. Like in the last two years, I've, I've been uh, slapping the word networking out of people's mouths and <laughs> telling them like networking is bullshit. Networking is what project managers do on LinkedIn. All that networking results in is awareness. Like when somebody is aware of you, they know your name, they recognize your face. That's not the same as having a relationship with someone. And like you said, those meaningful, lasting, genuine relationships are what this business and this art form is built on because people want to hire people they like. People want to make music and art with people they like. And you know, Dom is such a, a great example. And and we had a, you know, just as great an example even more recently with Aaron Spears. Mm-hmm. Um in in both cases, um, you know, people are posting clips of those two guys playing for sure. But what you're mostly seeing is tributes and memories from everybody they ever fucking met yes. about about the amazing people they were and you know people who had a relationship with these guys whether they met them one time or they were lifelong friends um you know you're you're playing may or may uh may or may not be remembered but you know you as a person definitely will oh yeah well and i i think i I agree with you about the 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 networking thing we're kind of told hey you got to do this you got to go out you got to you know get out to the clubs you know and schmooze all the people and do things and it's like well first of all a lot of these environments that i'm being told that i have to network and i don't want to be in in the first place and so even if i make the point of going there i'm not going to do a good job in terms of trying to create this impression of who i'm not just to try and fill and fill my calendar so i'd much rather work less but work for people that i have genuine relationships with ships with because now when i get those opportunities i look at my calendar and i'm excited to do the work that's in my calendar whereas there has been times in the past where i i have appreciated the work that was being given to me and i appreciated the friendships and the musicianship quality of the musicianship that i that i got to work with but i didn't always appreciate the environments that i'd had to go through in order to have these experiences because that's just not the path that i wanted to follow and it's hard to empty your calendar to reevaluate what's actually important. And for me, 
you know, with the pandemic, and I know this is something both of you do, I started to pivot and I thought, well, I've always wanted to learn how to do, you know, audio recording because I was always a player, not an engineer. Then suddenly mm-hmm. nobody had any work. And I thought, well, and I was even uh, temporarily laid off from my my full-time day job. So I literally had six weeks when I had nothing and my wife works from home. So she's still working full-time. And I thought, well, rather than sitting in the living room, watching TV while my wife's in the dining room doing work, I thought <laughs> I just, I needed to do something with myself. So my full-time job at that point came down to, I'm going to learn audio recording. So I just, I, I downloaded some courses and I went through and I, and I learned a bunch of things. And even though it's still way over my, my head in terms of my knowledge level, I suddenly realized that something I thought was inaccessible to me is accessible to start. And then I have a, I have a friend that is um, a renowned recording engineer locally and she reached out and said, the pandemic shut the studio down. I literally have, I can't have clients. Um, I have a project that I need drums for. Can you record drums from home? And I said, I I can. I have no idea what I'm doing at that point. <laughs> at that point, I have a, a an audio interface that has two plugins, and I got my SM58 vocal mic yep. as my overhead, and I got a kick mic, and I can do this. And you don't have to use it, but I'm willing to try. And it ended up getting used. And I thought, well, that's cool. And then I had another friend that does stuff. He, he um he's a film composer, so he does stuff for for independent film. And then he reached out because he needed something. And then suddenly I started learning by doing. And that's the best way to jump into things. Cause part of my personality type is in the past, I'd always want to take on a new skill set, but I wouldn't advertise that I was doing this until I felt like I had mastered all of the skill set first before I started to kind of offer it as a service. And then what usually happened is that you never end up doing the thing that you wanted in the first place because you're waiting for it to be perfect. And you can't do that. You just have to do it and fail and learn. And it's amazing how much better you'll get and how much faster you will achieve those goals by just being willing to fail. Think about those first gigs that we all did. We're like, man, my bands, we're going to play in this club. And we're just, you're just like so ready for it. And you want, you want the place packed out and where you were at as a drummer and a musician then. And that, that hubris that, (laughs) uh, and there's times I, I miss that. And it's so funny because like friends are like, Hey, where are you playing? I want to come out and see him. Like, I really don't want, no, that's fine. That's, that's cool. It's like, what, what the hell's wrong with me? I'm, I'm so much better than when I was like 16, 17, man, you got to come out and see, you got to go see me, see my band. And it's like, we're just so confident, but that there's other ways to kind of like take the, take that leap, that big into the, into the deep end of the pool to just do it. And, uh, you know, there's been times when, when, Early on, when I was learning recording and stuff, I was I was working with this this singer songwriter, and the producer said, uh, "Hey, we're gonna need some some tracks. Uh, do you know how to build tracks for you know?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, for sure." And uh, <laughs> rehearsal was done, and I drove home, and I immediately called Mike Jackson, my friend Mike Jackson, and I was like, uh, "Dude, I I I told him I knew how to build tracks. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, can you help me?" <laughs> well, I just wanted to say yes. I wanted to light that fire under me. To get it to and so when your friend called you and said can you do drums you're like well uh, yes i'm gonna do it and that's that's the best thing and um it's really hard to put yourself out there when you don't feel like you're ready but um I, we man we, we get in the way of ourselves so often and even the podcast i mean when we first started the podcast it was kind of like we didn't even didn't even have it we weren't even settled on a name and i have three people lined up and they're like we well, don't even have names. it's like i don't care you know, you just got to do it. You got to get started. And and yeah, you'd be surprised what you can accomplish. My podcast took me three years before I launched an episode because it was, a, <laughs> it, was it, it was an idea that I had. And I thought, I think it would be cool to do a podcast, but I had no idea how to do a podcast. So I would research and read a couple of, you know, articles online and go, okay, well, not all of this makes sense, but I will start 
you know, in a couple of days or on the weekend, I'll take a look at this again. And then suddenly it's three months later and you haven't done anything further from there. And then at one point I thought, well, first of all, if I do a podcast, nobody's going to want to be on my podcast. So I might as well make a list of people that I know. And fortunately for me, I've had 17 drum teachers. So I just started started reaching out to drum teachers going, hey, I'm thinking of doing a podcast. Would you be on my show? Oh, absolutely. So I thought, great. So I made a list of 10 people that said yes. And then I thought, well, at this point, I I actually still need to do this. And then I was getting overwhelmed because once again, it comes down to the name. Uh, I spent six months of stressing out trying to come up with a name. And then eventually I got a name as a placeholder that I thought, well, at least I'll use this until they come up with a better name. And I ended up using the name that was the placeholder because I couldn't think of anything better. And it turned out to be okay. And then I thought, well, I should probably have theme music, but I'm a player, not a composer. And then I got stressed out about trying to write theme music. And I thought, well, that's going to, you know, set me back another year. And then I finally thought this is ridiculous. (laughs) So I, so I thought this is ridiculous. So I, 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 I messengered my film composer friend that I do work for and said, can I commission you to write theme music for my show? And he's like, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do it for free. Cause you did a couple of things for me for free. And I yeah. want to, I want to repay the favor. I'm like, great. So then like a couple of weeks later, he sent me a track and it was like, here's your theme music. Tell me what you think. And I thought, I'm not going to care. I'm not that picky, but it turns out I was picky. So I had all these changes that I wanted to make and I felt bad, you know, sending him things back going, well, well, this wasn't what I was looking for. And then, you know, I'm thinking I was adding hours of work and 10 minutes later, he'd send me a new version because for him, right. it's that's what he does. And it's, it's not a big deal. And I'm thinking it took him like, 50 hours and it probably took him 90 minutes to do all of this stuff anyway and then in the end i got a a a theme for my show that i'm actually really happy with it the only condition i had was i have to play drums on it rather than just using a a programmed track but then suddenly i had a name and had a theme song i thought great now i gotta figure out how to actually host this and so i put out a post on social media saying you know anyone have any suggestions on on a good hosting company because everyone is the perfect hosting company when you actually go to their websites. And then I have a friend that it was actually an audio recording coach that I had that had messaged me and said, literally, I just changed my hosting company yesterday. Let's talk. So I thought, well, I'll just, I'll use the company that he suggested. And it turned out to make everything ridiculously simple to get oh, yeah. up and, and running. And so, for so me, basically, yeah. Like what, sorry to interrupt, but what, what I hear you saying is that, uh, creating this podcast required you to, uh, uh, you know, utilize and activate some of the relationships that you had and without those relationships, it would have been like way harder, if not impossible. Um, and so in terms of like, I'm, I'm going back to, you know, getting started with recording, like, You didn't, you know, you, you were proactive on your own in some ways, but, um, you know, you, like you, you leaned on your friend, uh, to help you through it. And, um, I, I did the exact same thing. Like I, well, going back to when I joined Matt on the podcast, I was like, I had never used GarageBand before. Like not only had I not recorded drums, I had not recorded anything before. So like Matt and Mike even though we were like new friends, (laughs) I leaned on that relationship for them to like babysit me and hold my hand and teach me how to, like I was using GarageBand at the time. They were already well into logic, but they were like, no, 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 you can use GarageBand. It's totally cool. Um, And then during the pandemic, I did the same thing as you, like diving, finally diving into recording drums. And I leaned heavily on an old friend of mine uh, named Giuliano Mingucci, who is an early podcast guest. Uh, he's a brilliant drummer and engineer who lives in Kansas City, old friend of mine. And he got on Zoom with me for like an hour or two at a time on multiple occasions and just like talked me through mic placement and EQ and compression and you know all the 101 shit that I had no idea about. Um, and it's, it's stuff that I still lean on to this day. Every time I record drums or every time I, I place mics, on drums for a live gig like i've got giuliano in my ear like Mm -hmm. all the stuff that he taught me so i'm i'm rambling about all that but it's you know whether whether you want to learn a new skill 
or advance your career in some way, like you can reach out to your relationships and ask for help. And in a way, I like, I'm not a self-starter, right? I need to like be kicked in the ass a little bit from the outside. So reaching out to someone is, is what I call obligating my future self, mm-hmm. right? Like if, <laughs> if I get it outside of myself and somebody else is in on it, now, like they're going to come back at me with help. And so then I'm going to be kicked into gear and okay, let's do it. Um, but yeah, if you can like obligate your future self in, in different ways, um, it's a, it's a, it's a great gentle, but effective way to sort of kick your own ass a little bit. (laughs) Well, and one of the things for me is that when I finally started to get things together, I put a post out saying I'm starting a podcast and I'm going to launch it you know, in by the end of, uh, or by the, by, by the beginning of, of March. Cause then I figured at that point I told people, and then people kept responding going, that's so cool. I can't wait to check it out. I'm like, well, now I made this commitment. So I actually yeah. have to do that. And so I think it's really vital sometimes as, as you said, Zach, that you, ha- you have to, you know, kind of put it out there that you're going to do this because then people right. are going to hold you accountable for it. Right. You, you don't, you don't have to know how to do a thing to start trying to do it. Like what I, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I reevaluated sort of how I wanted to work as a drummer and, and people were asking me like, uh, you know, well, what kind of like, what kind of group do you want to play with? Or is there like, do you want, what, what is different about the work that you want to do? And I couldn't be specific about it. I had no idea. I was just like the, the most I could narrow it down was, I just, I, I want to play good music with people I like. <laughs> and, and most people were like, that's, that's not specific enough. And it wasn't, but just sort of like setting that intent, um, gave me a little bit of a North star, uh, and, um, uh, like a barometer to use, uh, to, you know, determine what I needed to say yes and no to in music and in life. Well, and we all come from sort of a formal sort of post-secondary uh, music education background. And one of the things that I've often talked about is that they they teach you skills about how to be a better musician, but they don't often teach you how to be a musician in the first place. So it's like they'll they'll teach you, you know, here's the different things that you need to know as a drummer, but they don't tell you how to talk to the person at that club when you're trying to actually get a gig to play with these bands. These are the things that generally get overlooked. And so, you know, I went to college full time. I got a a diploma in jazz performance. Um, I don't consider myself to be a jazz drummer at all, but all of the skills and the things that I learned from those experiences have made me a better musician because I, you know, I can, I can read, I can, you know, I can play in some different styles. Many are much more comfortable than others, but at least can kind of get through these scenarios. But even after that, working full time as a musician for, you know, about the next 10 years, I, I never really learned how to put a career together. I always relied on other people getting work and trying to fill my calendar because I didn't know how to fill my own calendar. And, and I think when I got to the point where the work that I was getting had value, but it wasn't something that I really valued anymore. That's kind of when I needed to, to step away and step back. I, I sometimes joke with my wife that every two years I quit the music business because <laughs> then I don't need to go back and, and worry about all of the professional mistakes that I've made. And I'm only going to play music for fun. And then suddenly I achieve things that I haven't been able to achieve in a long time. And I end up getting better work and better experiences, but it takes that pressure away and it kind of makes things joyful again, because I sometimes have to remind myself I'm a musician because I love being a musician. I'm not a musician because my calendar is full. Sometimes my calendar will be fuller than other times, but it never takes away the the joy and the fact that I am a professional player that has devoted my life to something that that um, brings me joy. But if you lean into that, people know that about you. They see that in your playing. They see that in just in the way you carry yourself. And I think people are attracted to that. If you're thinking about filling your calendar and not thinking about what brings you joy, um, I, I, I feel like that's counterintuitive. Uh, it, it just doesn't work. And um, I, I don't know. Again, you know, we talk about we want to play good music with people that we like. Well, there's other people that feel the same way. They want to play with people they like too. And so like, if you're, you're like, 
you're happy to be on the gig. You've worked, you've, you know, you've, you've, you've shed the tunes. Uh, you've got a great attitude traveling and, and being on stage. Uh, it doesn't matter that there's like 16 other drummers that could totally do a better job than you can. They're just like, man, that was great. I, th that guy was so fun to play with and, and such a good hang. Get him on the next gig. Uh, you I've know. gotten, I've gotten some work because I respond to the emails in a timely fashion when they ask. Dude, and, that's and like half the battle. Just like being on top of your shit. I mean, sorry to interrupt you, but like it, it, <laughs> That like the 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 blocking and tackling of just being a normal person and responding in normal ways <laughs> in a timely fashion, like will take you so far because a lot of musicians can't. Well, and I've gotten a couple of recording things where I would ask them, "Well, when do you need this by?" Oh, I need it in five days, and I will send it to them the next day. And often with some of the work that they do, because there's so many other elements involved that they really needed it two weeks before, but they're waiting on the other person that hasn't done their part of the task to send them those things. And so there's always kind of that block. And, and I think it's really important to exceed people's expectations. That doesn't mean you need to be the best musician because there's always going to be people who have more experience and are more comfortable in certain aspects um, in terms of what we do than, than we are because we're all learning and we're growing. But you can be the person that can be more reliable and you can have a positive attitude and you can do what they tell you to do. Sometimes we get hired to do things and they want us to be us and they want us to do our own thing. And other times they're going to send you a chart and what they want is what was on the drum machine part exactly played, but better. And knowing what we're being asked to do and providing that service in a timely fashion and being pleasant and pleasant and appreciative are the things that really make a difference. You want to, you want to thank people for the work that you have, not just do the gig and take the money because right. they're going to remember, there may be someone else that they use more often, but, but by following up the next day and say, Hey man, I really appreciated this, this gig and this job that makes a huge difference. It does make a huge difference. Like, and, and being, being expressing gratitude for someone for the work is a lot easier if you are generally if you are genuinely grateful for it yes and being genuinely grateful for it is a lot easier if you know yourself and set yourself up to succeed in that regard and look at a gig and say am i am i going to am i going to resent this gig in the middle of it like am i just doing this for the money and sometimes you absolutely fucking need the money and you absolutely have to go <laughs> do the gig no matter what yeah. but you know there there is uh there is something to be said for removing yourself from situations that you know you're not going to feel good about um and in terms of you know over delivering or sort of exceeding expectations um I think that's that's generally a great policy. Uh, I, I think it can go too far because no matter what gig you're on, if you take it or yourself too seriously, mm -hmm. um, people are going to start not having fun <laughs> uh, around you. Um, but it reminded me of uh, uh, one of my, my good buddies is uh, Q Robinson. He's the guy that I replaced on, on this Ain't Too Proud gig. And when I was interviewing him, he talked about showing up to like a it was like a weekend gig at like a seafood shack somewhere it was just a very casual sort of like corner of the restaurant jam whatever and he brought his uh he brought like one of his nice drum sets like he brought you know his usual professional gear uh and somebody else in the band was like man, like, geez, what are you trying to prove? What, what'd you bring the nice drum set for? We're just like hanging at the seafood shack. And Q is like, oh, you showed up for the gig you have. I'm showing up for the gig I want. Mm. Um, yeah. And there's just that, that, that stuck with me. Just that aspect of like, you don't have to overdo it, but like give, if, if you say yes to a gig, um, give it the respect that it deserves. Gives the, give those people the respect they deserve. And, you know, demonstrate that you're not only qualified for this gig, but you're qualified for a bigger, better gig. It's a, it's an interesting balance. And, and I think based on a lot of the conversations we've had over the years, we're starting to kind of learn some of the nuances 
uh, that go along with being self-employed and trying to work as a full-time musician, because yeah, we want to go above and beyond, but at what point are we, um, overextending ourselves and, um, and to a place where people are taking advantage of, well, the last time you did this track, you gave me three different versions. So now I'm going to expect that from you forever. And you're like, oh my God, I'm not charging enough for that. It's, it's, it's really interesting. So, I mean, yeah, you do want to do your best and take it seriously, but like, how do you, um, how do you, how do you like over deliver in a, in a, and treat it with the professionalism it deserves without setting a precedence that leads to people taking advantage of you and your kindness and stuff like that? There, there's a balance to be struck there for sure. And I think it's different for, for everyone, um, depending on their energy and boundaries and, and all the rest. Um, and, you know, getting, getting taken advantage of is definitely a risk if you make a habit of, you know, over delivering and, and exceeding expectations. But the other risk is that nobody takes advantage of you and you grind yourself to fucking dust for <laughs> no reason. Like I've seen it. I've seen it happen with musicians and with, with, you know, regular, regular job type folk. Um, you know, and sometimes it's a combination of like, you know, people are used to getting a certain amount from you or a certain thing or a certain quality, but you're also just like beating the shit out of yourself saying, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. Um, and it can, it can lead to, uh, a, a breakdown. And I, I mean that in kind of the, the literal sense. <laughs> I was just going to say, sometimes it just it just comes down to maybe just having a conversation with a band leader or producer or whatever. Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I do a lot of work for this producer and he's got a new client. And so, you know, we always want to make sure that we maybe the, the first little bit that we work with a new client, we want to go a little bit above and beyond and, and make sure we can kind of figure out their vision of their music. And then once we kind of figure it out, then we're we're on the right path. And uh, so we sent some tracks and he listened. He's like, I like the drums. Can he do this? Can he do that? And we did. So I, you know, did some punch ins and um, did a couple fixes on some things. And then he liked it. He goes, can he follow me? That he, And he came back with a third, you know, third thing. Can When I say this word, will he do like a drum fill that when and I'm like, I already had the session pulled up. I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to do it. And the producer's like, thank thanks for doing that. But don't do any more. Don't do it because it's like he's going to think that he can just like nitpick every he's like we want to figure out his style kind of his approach what tones he wants what kind of like the vibe he wants to go for the music he wants to produce he wants to record uh but uh we want him to know that this is what you get paid to do this and so that when he comes to the table with a new song whatever like we've got reference material because i mean i'm talking about recording remotely and as we all know, recording re remotely is a completely different thing than recording in the studio, because it's there's a, there's a time element, there's a there's a there's a lack of feedback that's not it's not immediate. So you have to be really careful about how you spend your time uh, recording remotely. And there's there's ways to do it, but I mean, uh, uh, as far as offering so many fixes, it's like listen. I've got the reference tracks. I've got notes. I've got everything like that. Um, I've got an idea of what you want to go. You need to let me do my thing, and then and then we're moving on. Um, so yeah, it's just it's it is striking that that balance. But I think there is such a fear of um, not being taken seriously, or we see people we've worked with people that just don't just don't they they didn't do their homework or they didn't even listen to the song before they got to the gig or whatever. And that stuff always just drove me crazy. Uh, especially when I was younger and I'm like, Oh, I want to be a professional and you guys are doing your homework and you know, all this stuff. And I'm going to move to Nashville and work with nothing but professionals and they're all going to be great. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I remember years ago, I, I used to dabble in some website design stuff. So I kind of did that as, as a part-time freelance thing. And then uh, one of the bands that I was working with, they I, I said to them, like, if, if you want me to update the dates on the website, just put them in an email, send them to me, because it's literally going literally gonna to take me three minutes to do this, just copy and paste this in. I'm like, I'm not going to charge you for that. Um, 
because it's not a big deal. And then one of the band members is like, well, I'd like to come over to your house and I and I want to because uh, I can look at a couple of things and I kind of I want to help. I'm like, no problem. Here's my hourly rate. So you can you can send them to me and I will do it and charge you nothing. Or you can come over and I'm charging you my hour rate because it's going to take me 90 minutes of nitpicking right. when you're going to be happy in the first place. And it's not, it's not a criticism. It's just the reality of that. You have to value what your yeah, time is worth. And, and sometimes the value I get is I will do some sessions for free because I get experience and I get exposure and it took a half an hour of my time. And then I will, and then that's led to other things where I got paid significantly more than I expected because there was a much higher budget for those situations. And so you really have to look at, you know, experience is, is something that, that you can kind of, kind of value. And I've had some people where I say, well, what I, what I want to be paid is your expertise. So let me donate half an hour of my time because you have knowledge on things that I don't have experience in. So let me come over to your place for an hour one day and let me ask the questions that I have about, you know, how to do this in logic pro, or how do you set up these microphones? Because that you know, half an hour of my time number to do two or three takes is not a big commitment for me for the amount of information I can get from people that want to share. And it's really important once again, about building those relationships, nobody wants to spend their free time helping out people that are, are just after stuff, but, right. every, but everyone is not everyone. Most people are going to be willing to donate a few minutes of their time for someone that generally wants to learn. Yeah. 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 In, in terms of, uh, you know, putting a value on what you do and, and undervaluing or overvaluing yourself. I, I have two things to say about this that leap to mind. Uh, one is the, the notion, you know, typically held by older musicians that nobody should play for free or nobody should play for less than X amount, uh, whatever X amount is. Um, and I just reject this out of hand because, uh, that's that, that assumes that all the musicians who are working or seeking work are at the same place in life at the same experience level, playing the same kinds of gigs, um, are in it for the same reasons um, and have the same ambitions. It is still the fucking wild west out here. There is no standard for almost anything. Like I am in a unionized gig right now. And it is one of like a handful of unionized gigs that still exists in America. So it is standardized. Everything else, even at the highest level, like the arena tours, they're not unionized. Uh, it's it's up to each individual to sort of determine their own value uh, and and compromise accordingly. Like if you're going to compromise what you're getting paid, what are you getting other than money? Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes ex it's experience. Sometimes it's exposure. Sometimes it's just fucking fun. Sometimes yeah. it's a burger and a beer. Um, and, you know, you if, if you want to, you can and will work your way up the ladder to the better paying gigs that all these old cranky fuckers say should be <laughs> the standard. Right. Um, but the other thing is in terms of like determining your value because it's the wild west, because there is no standard, because there's no standard rate for remote recording, it's up to each individual to determine what their value is and an easy way to do that i forgot who said this to me but i tell it to people all the time now especially in the case when they're trying to like set a price for a remote session job i tell them think of a number that is going to make you feel good about doing this work mm -hmm. no matter how long the work takes no matter what it is no matter if you like this person or hate them or the music is awful or it's awesome like what number is going to make you bring your best self to this work and not resent it? What number is going to make you not regret saying yes to this gig? What number is going to prevent you from saying, this is bullshit. I'm getting taken advantage of. I'm, I should have asked for more. I undervalued myself. Like what number is going to prevent all that shit? 
And if you, <laughs> if you can name that number and somebody will pay you that number, great. Then you say yes to the gig. My grad school mentor, Bobby Watson, said, you are not too good for any gig you say yes to. Hmm. So it's, you know, it's really up to you what you say yes to. And, and you can, um, you know, you have some control over the parameters of the gig over what you're saying yes to. Sometimes it's take it or leave it. Sometimes it's here's the gig, here's the time, here's the place, here's the money. Yes or no. But other times, you know, if those parameters aren't quite to your liking and you say, well, you know, actually this, I'll do it for this number. Could you, could you afford this? You know, and if they say yes, then you said yes to that gig. You are not too good for it. You've got to feel good about doing it. So two things about that, you know, if, if I'm going to say yes to a song and it's going to make me feel happy, there are some songs that I've tracked. I should have gotten paid a thousand dollars a track. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking awful. Um, there's also been times, um, especially when my first son was born, I was working with a songwriter and he's like, well, you know, this is what I can pay. And I'm like, you know what? I can't do that anymore, man. Um, I, I just, something overcame me like a sense of responsibility. And, uh, I said, listen, I love you. I love this. You know, if, when you, when you're doing a gig and you can kind of cover, cover this amount for me, I please call me. Uh, but if this is what you can pay, I can't commit to it. Um, I'm happy to help you find somebody. And that was kind of a thing. It's like, listen, I can't do this for whatever reason, but, um, Hey, let me help you find somebody. You know, and I now I just pick up my phone and I hit drummer in my Rolodex and I've got, you know, a thousand people to choose from. And I can I can share that stuff. It takes two minutes away and it but it it, it helps establish that and it's like, well, that's cool, man. He couldn't do it, but that's it develops it I mean it grows that relationship. That's the thing about that ladder. If if there was a standard, if everybody was getting paid the same for remote work, then your buddy who you really care about and who I assume is writing like, you know, good songs that should be heard would not be able to afford to get drums recorded. And the fact that you set a standard for yourself, you're like, I'm, this is, this is what I work for now. But there are a bunch of other guys that I know who are younger than me, who have less experience maybe, but like they will work for this. I've graduated. I'm further up the ladder now, but there are people coming up behind me that are further down the ladder who are great fucking drummers who are will jump at the chance to do any work for any amount of money and you know it's not going to be me but it's still going to be a good drummer who can get you a good product and so because there is no standardization and because somebody below you is willing to work for less um i think that translates to more wins for more people whether it's drummers or the artists that they play for I once read a quote uh, in a book and they were talking about, you know, setting your value and they, what they had, the point that they had made was if you do a job for someone that hires you and the person is thrilled with the work that you do and pays you money because they're thrilled with what you did and you're receiving this money for this work and you are resentful receiving this money, you didn't charge enough money. The flip mm -hmm. side of that was if you are feeling incredibly guilty for the amount of money that someone's giving you to do this job, you're probably overcharged for where you're really at in terms of that particular stage. Um, because there are some people that can justify based on their experience and their status for these higher rates, but most people will generally undervalue. And I also work as a as a teacher and I, you know, and I got a handful of students. And when I was trying to determine my rate, my rate is along the lines of what a lot of people would be charging for an hourly rate, but it's probably about, you know, 10 to $15 more than what someone would pay for an hourly rate at a local music school. And I've had people referred and said, Oh, my kid wants to take some lessons. What do you charge? And I tell them what I charge. And they say, Oh, that's that's a lot of money. And it's not because it's about half of what I actually pay for the people that I study with and for the amount of stuff that I've done. That's what I have determined is is my worth. And it's very reasonable. And if I charge $10 less 
then suddenly I would be in a session or a lesson going, you know what, I'm this, this is just not what I want to be doing. So it's, it's, it's not a big amount of money, but it's really just finding that right, that right amount that you feel is the value for your time. And, and that's, you know, that's a challenge because you also, you sometimes look at things and say, if I undercharge, I'm going to lose opportunities. And then you end up taking on opportunities that you resent. So you really have to find something that is something that's, going to be fulfilling for you and the the people that aren't willing to spend what you're charging aren't really valuing you as an artist or an educator in the first place they're just looking for someone to do a job and at this point you really want to look at and say i i want someone to value me for what i have to offer not just essentially fill a role because someone's looking for a service in addition to the the monetary value that that we place on our work, um, uh, you also have to take into account just sort of the the cosmic value of your uh, your life um, in terms of you know because we tend to we tend to compare ourselves to people with quote unquote real jobs and you know break it down to an hourly rate like how many hours did that person work this week how many hours did I work. What did I get paid? What did they get paid? Um, and you know, every, every job, no matter what you do comes with some sort of sacrifice or some sort of pain in the ass. But, you know, there's, in addition to the actual hours you put in, uh, and whatever you get paid for it, um, there's the sacrifice you make or the sacrifices you make to do this life. Um, and some of it has to do with time with family. Some of it has to do with, you know, financial security, insurance, just, you know, all that shit. There, there are sacrifices, um, that we make that don't show up in our tax return. And I, I had like, a a kind of big moment with my therapist last week. Cause I was talking about how I feel like I've gotten away with something in life. Like I get to do what I love. <laughs> And I don't generally put in a 40 hour work week sometimes, you know, (laughs) um, and I I told him, like, I look at somebody like Christina, my wife or my brother, uh, who have like, quote unquote, real jobs with long hours and hard, tangly shit, intellectual problems to solve uh, a lot of responsibility. I look at someone like that and I'm like, man, like that's someone who fucking works for a living. Or I look at, you know, a crew of guys cutting a hole in the highway. I'm like, fuck, those guys work for a living. I don't feel like I work for a living really. And my therapist was like, how many hours are in a week? And I was like, I don't know, 160 some. Uh, And he said, and how many of them do you get to spend with your wife? And I said, uh, right now, uh, zero. And he said, yeah, so you're underpaid. <laughs> yeah, dude, it, I mean, it, you're so right. I mean, there's there's things that we, talk, we think about all the time that we're not even counting the hours we spent practicing. I mean, from the very beginning and honing these skills. Uh, it wasn't, it was maybe a year and a half ago, I was playing downtown and, uh, it was like convention season. So there's a bunch of like convention business people down there. And this guy's like, Hey man, my boss plays drums. He wants to get up and sit in. And so the singer's like, okay, well, it's going to cost you some money if he wants to get up and sit. So I mean, they threw us some, some good change. And so he like mm-hmm. the singer turns around and flashes like a big stack of cash. <laughs> he goes, you take a break. And I'm like, all right, I'll see ya. <laughs> So I stepped down and he's like, what song is going to do this song? And he's like, hey, everybody, his friends are like, yeah, man, do this. And he started playing and it just started getting slower and slower and slower. <laughs> and it got to the chorus and it stopped. Like the drum stopped. And <laughs> I, mean, I, I went to the bathroom. I was talking one of the, with one of the security guys and, and like we're in mid conversation, mid sentence. And the security guy like looks at the stage and goes, that's something's not right. That didn't sound good. And then the drums start again. And I look up at the stage and the singers jump, jump back behind the drums to finish the song. And the guy was done. And I kind of felt, I felt bad for a minute. And then I apologize to any of the listeners. This is not me, but I just, I had this angry moment in my, I said, you know what? Fuck you, man. You came in and you saw it. Hey man, I could do that. Yeah, my boss knows he can play drums. 
I, I just like, I'm so sick of this. We work so hard and dedicate and make so many sacrifices to do this. Yeah, it may not be a, a regular job, but my gosh, it you it it is work. It is it is so much work. I mean, and um, just be prepared. If this is what you want to do, there are joys and there is a lot of reward. But um, I don't know something about that just like fired me up. And I'm like, mm. what am I? What am I feeling right now? I'm feeling all that childhood trauma of growing up in Central Ohio, and we're like, oh, well, you will when you when you get out of this phase, you got to get a real job. And that's when I'm like, I'm out of here. I gotta I gotta go someplace where people treat that, that, but that the music business is treated with respect. Uh, so maybe that's where it came from. I'm not really sure, but I I, I feel like that 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 is kind of an attitude that. that that a lot of people have it's like well you don't really do a job and it's like are you kidding me that was part one of my interview with matthew kraus and zach albetta stay tuned for the next episode for part two of our roundtable discussion thanks for listening you've been listening to the drummer's pathway podcast please share and subscribe to get the word out and let's keep the discussion going Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.